Welcome back. I'm Dr. Mark McCullough with another installment from Dante's Inferno, this time Canto 24 and 25. I'll read uh, both of them back to back and then offer a brief discussion afterwards with notes for further exploration. In the season of the newborn year, when the sun renews its rays beneath Aquarius, and nights begin to last as long as days, at the time the hoarfrost paints upon the ground the outward semblance of his snow-white sister, but the color from his brush soon fades away. The peasant wakes, gets up, goes out, and sees the fields all white. No fodder for his sheep. He smites his thighs in anger and goes back into his shack, and, and pacing down and up, complains, poor wretch, not knowing what to do. Once more he goes outdoors, and hope fills him again when he sees the world has changed its face in so little time. And he picks up his crook, and out to pasture drives his sheep to graze. Just so I felt myself lose heart to see my master's face, wearing a troubled look, and as quickly came the salve to heal my sore. For when we reached the shattered heap of bridge, my leader turned to me with that sweet look of warmth I first saw at the mountain's foot. He opened up his arms, but not before he had carefully studied how the ruins lay and found some sort of plan to pick me up. Like one who works and thinks things out ahead, always ready for the next move he will make. So, while he raised me up upon one great rock, he had already singled out another, saying, Now get a grip on that rock there, but test it first to see it holds your weight. It was no road for one who wore a cloak. Even though I had his help and he weighed nothing, we could hardly lift ourselves from crag to crag. And had it not been that the bank we climbed was lower than the one we had slid down, I cannot speak for him, but I for one surely would have quit. But since the evil pits slope towards the yawning well that is the lowest, each valley is laid out in such a way that one bank rises higher than the next. We somehow finally reached the point above where the last of all that rock was shaken loose. My lungs were so pumped out of breath by the time I reached the top I could go I could I could not go on farther, and instantly I sat down where I was. Come on, shake off the covers of the sloth, my master said, for sitting softly cushioned or tucked in bed is, is no way to win fame. And without it man must waste his what life away, leaving such traces of what he was on earth as smoke and wind and foam upon the water. Stand up, dominate this wariness of yours, with the strength of soul that wins in every battle if it does not sink beneath this, the body's weight. Much steeper stairs than these will have to climb. We have not seen enough of sinners yet. If you understand me, act, learn from my words. At this I stood up straight and made it seem I had more breath than I had to breathe, and said, Move on, for I am strong and ready. We climbed and made our way along the bridge, which was jagged, tight, and difficult to cross, and steep, far more than any we had climbed. Not to seem faint, I spoke while I was climbing. Then came a voice from the depths of the next chasm, a voice unable to articulate. I don't know what it said, even though I stood at the very top of the arch that crosses there. To me, it seemed whoever spoke, spoke running. I was bent over, but no living eyes could penetrate the bottom of that darkness. Therefore, I said, Master, why not go down this bridge unto the next encircling bank? For I hear sounds I cannot understand, and I look down, but cannot see a thing. 
No other answer, he replied, I give you than doing what you ask, for a fit request is answered best in silence and indeed. From the bridge's height we came to, to, down to the point, where it ends and joins the edge of the eighth, eighth bank, and then the Bologna opened up to me. Down there I saw a terrible confusion of serpents, all of such a monstrous kind, the thought of them still makes my blood run cold. Let all the sands of Libya boast no longer, for though she breeds Chaldri and Jaculi, Farians, Chenchers, and head-tailed Amphibabines, she never bred so great a plague of venom, not even if combined with Ethiopia or all the sands that lie by the Red Sea. Within this cruel and bitterest abundance, people ran terrified and naked, hopeless of finding hiding holes a heliotrope. Their hands were tied behind their back with serpents, which pus pushed their tails and heads along the loins and coiled themselves in knots around the front. And then, at a sinner running by our bank, a snake shot out and, striking, hit his mark right where the neck attaches to the shoulder. No O or I was ever quickly put by pen to paper, then he flared up and burned and turned into a heap of crumbled ash. And then these ashes scattered on the ground began to come together on their own and quickly take the form they had before. Precisely so, philosophers declare, the phoenix dies to be reborn again as she approaches her 500th year. Alive, she does not feed on herbs or grain, but on teardrops of frankincense and balm, and wraps herself to die in nard and myrrh. As a man in a fit will fall, not knowing why, perhaps some hidden demon pulls him down, or some oppilation chokes his vital spirits, then struggling to his feet will look around, confused and overwhelmed by the great anguish he has suffered, moaning as he stares about. So did this sinner when he finally rose. Oh, how harsh the power of the Lord can be, raining in its vengeance blows like these. My guide asked him to tell us who he was, and he replied, It's not too long ago I reigned from Tuscany to this fierce gullet. I loved my bestial life more than the human, like the bastard that I was. I am Vani Fucci, the beast. Pistoria is my fitting den. Was my fitting den. I told my guide, Tell him not to run away. Ask him what sin has driven him down here for I knew him as a man of bloody rage. The sinner heard, and did not try to feign. Directing straight at me his mind and face, he reddened with a look of ugly shame and said, That you have caught me by, but surprised here in this wretched Bolgia, makes me grieve more than the day I lost my other life. Now I am forced to answer what you ask. I am struck so far down here because of theft. I stole the treasure of the sacristy, a crime falsely attributed to another. I don't want you to rejoice at having seen me if you ever escape these dark pits, so open your ears and hear my prophecy. Pistoia first shall be stripped of all its blacks, and Florence then shall change its men and laws. From Mars shall thrust a bolt of lightning wrapped in thick forbidding, foreboding clouds, then bolt and clouds will battle bitterly in a violent storm above Pacino's fields, where rapidly the bolt will burst the cloud, and no white will escape without his wounds. And I have told you this, so you will suffer. Canto 25 
When he had finished saying this, the thief shaped his fists into figs and raised them high and cried, Here, God, I've shaped them just for you. From then on, all those snakes became my friends, for one of them at once coiled around his neck, as if to say, That's all you're going to say? While another twisted round his arms in front, it tied itself into so tight a knot between the two he could not move a muscle. Pistoia, ah, Pistoia, why not resolve to burn yourself to ashes, ending all, since you have done more evil than your founders? Throughout the circles of this dark inferno, I saw no shade so haughty towards his god, not even he who fell from Thebes' high walls. Without another word, he fled, and then I saw a raging centaur, Galawak, roaring, Where is he? Where is that unteamed beast? I think that all of Mar Marima does not have as many snakes as he had on his back, right up to where his human form begins. Upon his shoulders, just behind the nape, a dragon with its wings spread wide was crouching and spitting fire at whoever came its way. My master said to me, That one is Caucus, who more than once in the grotto far beneath Mount Aventine spilled blood to fill a lake. He does not go the same road as his brothers because of the cunning way he committed theft when he stole his neighbor's famous cattle herd. And then his evil deeds came to an end beneath the club of Hercules, who struck a hundred blows, and he, perhaps, felt ten. While he was speaking, Caucus galloped off. At the same time, three shades appear below us. My guide and I would not have seen them there if they had not cried out, Who are you two? At this, we cut our conversation short to give our full attention to these three. I did not know who they were, but then it happened, as often it will happen just by chance, that one of them was forced to name another. Where did Chianfa go off to? he asked. And then, to keep my guide from saying anything, I put my finger tight against my lips. Now, if, my reader, you should hesitate to believe what I shall say, there's little wonder, for I, the witness, scarcely can believe it. While I was watching them, all of a sudden a serpent, and it had six feet, shot up and hooked one of those wretched with all six. With the middle feet it hugged the sinner's stomach, and, with the front ones, grabbed him by the arms, and bit him first through one cheek and then the other. The serpent spread its hind feet round both thighs, then stuck its tail between the sinner's legs, and up against his back the tail slid stiff. No ivy ever grew to any tree so tight entwined as the way that hideous beast had woven in and out its limbs with him, and then both started melting like hot wax, and fusing, they began to mix their colors, so neither one seemed what he was before. Just as a brownish tint ahead of flame creeps up a burning page that is not black completely, but though the white is dying. The other two who watched began to shout, Oh, Agnel, if you could see how you are changing, you're not yourself, and you're not both of you. The two heads had already fused to one, and features from each flowed and blended into one face, where two were lost in one another. Two arms of each were four blurred strips of flesh, and thighs with legs, then stomach and the chest sprout limbs that human eyes have never seen. Each former likeness now was blotted out, both, and neither one, it seemed, this picture of deformity. And then it sneaked off 
slowly, just as a lizard darting from hedge to hedge under the stinging lash of the dog day's heat zips across the road like a flash of lightning. So thrushing towards the two remaining thieves, aiming at their guts, a little serpent, fiery with rage and black as peppercorn, shot up and sank its teeth in one of them, right where the embryo receives its food, then fell back and laid stretched out before him. The wounded thief stared speechless at the beast, and standing motionless began to yawn as though he needed sleep or had a fever. The snake and he, was, and he were staring at each other, one from his wound, the other from its mouth fumed violently, and smoke with smoke was, was mingling. Let Lucan from this moment on be silent, who tells of poor Nasidius and Sibelus, and wait to hear what I still have in store. And Ovid, too, with his Cadmus and Arethusa, though he metamorphosized one into a snake, the other to a fountain, I fear, I feel no envy, for never did he interchange two beings face to face so that both forms were ready to exchange their substance, each one for the others. An interchange of perfect symmetry. The serpent splits its tail into a fork, and the wounded sinner drew his feet together. The legs with both the thighs closed in to join, and in a short time fused, so that the juncture didn't show signs of ever having been there. The while the cloven tail assumed the features that the other one was losing and its skin was growing soft, the others getting scaly. I saw his arms retreating to the armpits, and the reptile's two front feet that had been short began to stretch the length the man's had shortened. The beast's hind's feet then twisted round each other and turned into the member man conceals, while the wretched member grew two legs. The smoke from each was swirling round the other, exchanging colors, bringing out the hair where there was none, and stripping off the others. The one rose up, the others sank, but neither dissolved the bond between their evil stares, fixing eye to eye, exchanging face for face. The standing creature's face began receding towards the temples. From the excess stuff pulled back, the ears were growing out of flattened cheeks, while the excess flesh that did not flee the front a nose was fashioned for the face, and lips puffed out to just the normal size. The prostrate creature strains his face out long and makes his ears withdraw into his head the way a snail pulls in its horns. The tongue that once had been peace and capable, one piece and capable of forming words, divides into a fork, while the other fork heals up. The smoke subsides. The soul that had been changed into a beast went hissing off along the valley's floor, the other close behind spitting words. Then he turned his new form back on him and said to the shade left standing there, Let Busso run the valley on all fours the way I did. Then I saw the cargo of the seventh cold exchange and interchange and let the strangeness of it all excuse me if my pen has failed. And though this spectacle confused my eyes and stunned my mind, the two thieves could not flee, so secretly I did not recognize that one was certainly Puccio Scanticato, and he alone of that company of there that first appeared did not change to something else. The other, he who made you mourn, Gaville. So we get a rather uh, fabulous opening to Canto 24, and both Canto 24 and 25 are devoted to theft. 
and uh, the fabulous uh, opening to 24 with this extended epic simile um, uh, is not only uh, beautiful on its own, uh, but it's also introductory to theft and to the idea of being deceived. So we read about this farmer who looks on the fields and sees a, a thin layer of frost uh, which covers the fields and sort of stymies his ability to, to do his work. He returns to his uh, shack and uh, is upset. And then when he sticks his head out uh, not too long after this, he sees that um, the, the, uh, the pasture is cleared again, cleared by the sun, which has me melted uh, the hoarfrost. And so his sheep can, can, can graze. So this introduces us to um, a few th themes, right? First, the deception of nature. It's sort of that nature herself is sort of deceptive towards the farmer. Um, and and also change, the theme of, uh, of a kind of a quick change, which we see through this grotesque and horrific, uh, both in Canto 24 and 25. The uh, devotion of this canto and the next one to theft, remember theft is the seventh division of fraud, is uh, given to us in a number of different ways. Dante believes theft is sort of almost an extension of our um, we might say our individuality or our, our uh, of our of ourselves, and so um, so are the damned transformed, metamorphosized from uh, from human into beast and then back again. Uh, he sees it as a kind of he's very serious. Dante is very serious about uh, the sin of theft. And theft is more than just simply uh, uh, materials and goods. Um, it's also words. Words themselves can be stolen. And um, it's a fascinating canto because, uh, because of this emphasis on the borrowing, maybe even the theft of words, Dante uh, mentions uh, a few important poets, uh, poets who were important to him, Lucan, who we saw earlier in Limbo, and, and Ovid uh, as well. So both uh, Lucan and Ovid and even Virgil uh, is mentioned. Of course, Virgil not just as the, the guide for Dante through, uh, through hell, but also implicitly alluded to in several places, uh, Virgil's poetry. So the theft is not just simply for Dante, the theft of stuff and things, but also of uh, words, um, words particularly in this case um, from other poets. So Dante is uh, somewhat crafty here, um, and, and you can emphasize this more or less as you'd like. Uh, I like to see Dante always at war, in a sense, uh, in maybe a, a, a kind of kind and gentle war with his forebearers, with uh, the poets who, who preceded him, um, but the war nevertheless, and which is why in, in, some, in some ways we, we see... Um, uh, uh, Virgil asking Dante to shake off his own sloth um, and win some fame here at the uh, beginning uh, of, of the canto as well. So the two need to uh, cross from one, from, from one uh, space to the next, and it's very difficult. And, and Virgil, oddly enough, is, is encouraging Dante to make it to the next section of hell 
uh, by almost shaming him by saying, hey, you can't, you know, no sleeping in bed on this one. Um, and so that brings us to this question or this issue of fame and Dante uh, embracing the fame he has as a poet. In many ways, he wants to surpass, Dante wants to surpass uh, the poets of the past. And so that kind of competition war with others, uh, with other poets, also involves the borrowing um, of words and how much are they borrowed and how much are they stolen. Well, for Dante, he gives... Um, he gives us many clues as to where he's borrowing his um, allusions uh, from Lucan and, and Ovid. Um, Ovid, of course, comes to mind the, the strongest here in this in Canto 24, uh, particularly his, um, I think it's book four of the Metamorphosis, where, um, where many snakes are described. And, um, and just the title itself of the Metamorphosis, that is a, that's the theme here. Um, also see uh, that Garion, uh, the, the monster, is uh, alluded to again in Canto 24. He represented, uh, we saw him um, several cantos ago to introduce this section of fraud. We see him again now, or alluded to. He's kind of the static representation of, of fraud. He's not what the monster is, not what, it, what the monster claims to be, sort of presents itself. Um, uh, uh, as different than its its actual nature, and the serpents and souls that we'll see combined and recombined uh, die and live and die again in this in this canto will be kind of the dynamic form of uh, of of that uh, of of that theme or that idea of uh, of fraud and uh, and of deception. Uh, Dante makes use of the of. The, the, the symbol of the phoenix um, here, and we understand the phoenix as part of the mythology that Dante um, assumed from ancient sources uh, as a, uh, a mythical bird whose death uh, uh, also included its own resurrection so that it died within its ashes and then in 500 years it was reborn. And he emphasizes this uh, a few times here as if to contrast that kind of natural and, you know, kind of beautiful uh, symbol with the unnatural and grotesque uh, transformations uh, we see here of the thieves. Um, uh, this first thief we see is um, Vani Fucci, um, who calls himself a, a, a bastard and a beast. Uh, before we, we get to what Vani says, um, take a look uh, at the earlier passages here where he emphasizes, uh, Dante emphasizes the transformation, the contrast between Phoenix and, and Vani or Phoenix and, and the other thieves that are there. And as he writes, um, as a man in a fit will fall, not knowing why, perhaps some hidden demon pulls him down, then struggling to his feet will look around confused and overwhelmed by the great anguish. It's a, it's a very frightening image um, uh, of, uh, of coming to one's own senses and um, uh, uh, recognizing oneself for the, for the first time. But again, in this, uh, in this area of hell where these thieves are eternally punished, they're constantly coming uh, to themselves uh, almost as an inverted epiphany, sort of a, as a as a horrifying epiphany of themselves as they then 
um, uh, in, in their confusion as they transform yet again and again and again. There's tremendous fluctuation. Their identity is shifting. They're never resting. So unlike the phoenix that sort of is resurrects and uh, is an image for Christians of Christ and for Dante as well, of Jesus Christ, um, so is this inverted resurrection uh, part, uh, a big part of the punishment and the consequences of, uh, of, of, of taking what is not yours and claiming it your own. Now, uh, Vani Fucci was, a, I'm reading from my Musa uh, footnotes here, was the illegitimate son of a, uh, of, a, of a leader. He himself was a leader of the blacks in Pistoia. Um, he was known um, as a man of, in line 129, of bloody rage. And it's, um, again, part of the brilliance of Dante is that he, he, Dante the pilgrim here is surprised that he should be meeting Fucci here and maybe not in uh, the shades of the violin in Canto, uh, in Canto 12. So his, his reputation preceded him as an angry person, and yet here he is among the thieves. And the reason for this is that uh, Fucci uh, stole uh, from the sacristy some, um, some materials from the church. Um, and he robbed this and he escaped. And um, according to uh, Musa, this is actually uh, you know, news. This is like breaking news at the time. Uh, that Dante is writing uh, the Divine Comedy at the uh, at the beginning of the 14th century. So uh, actually, this is a his his the theft of this and his uh, guilt of this of of robbing the sacristy was not discovered really until the time of Dante's writing this. So pretty a pretty contemporaneous uh, consequence uh, or, or contemporaneous example of the consequences of of, of being a thief. So at the beginning of 25, uh, the encounter with, uh, with Vanni Fucci is not over, and uh, we see there in the conclusion, uh, or rather the beginning of Canto 25, that he raises his fists to the sky and says, Here, God, I've shaped them just for you. Reminds us of, uh, of, an, earlier, uh, of an earlier very angry figure uh, in, in Book uh, 8, uh, Capanius, um, who is also uh, whose whose suffering is almost celebrated by Dante. Um, this is the kind of anger that we've come to expect, or Dante's come to expect from Fucci, which is uh, uh, which is a, which is what he was how he was known on Earth. And it's important that uh, Fucci is is actually uh, um, embarrassed to be called a thief. Um, and uh, at the end of 24, beginning of 25, he tells Dante this prophecy of the blacks and how uh, uh, th that his uh, city will be over overcome through violence. Um, and so uh, as if to punish Dante for, for in uh, inquiring into his, uh, into his fate. So here at the beginning of 25, we're not quite done with Fucci. He's looked at as an angry, uh, angry figure. And... Um, Dante ejaculates there, uh, uh, Pistoia, which is the city, uh, Pistoia, why not resolve to burn yourself to ashes, ending all since you have done more evil than your founders? So Dante himself uh, ties 
this city, which is in a sort of in the clutches of thieves, um, t compares uh, this this city to the phoenix. Why don't you simply die yourself and rise from your ashes? Um, uh, Fucci uh, talks about himself as a bastard and as a beast, and in, in, in uh, the bastard part is that is is the illegitimacy of his birth. Uh, as if to, he mentions it as if to blame uh, others and not himself, and calls himself a beast as well, or in some translations, a mule. Um, uh, and again, uh, the, the contrast between beasts and humans are quite stark here. Um, we see uh, a much more simplified transformation uh, in in Fuchi uh, of 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 him of himself into into a serpent and into ashes and then back again. Uh, but in 25, we see a number of transformations. Uh, the description of these transformations are given in a detached fashion. And that's what makes it most creepy for, for me, the reader, to read this, because Dante is very much an observer here of these horrific things uh, that are happening. And his observation um, is detached and, um, and objective. Uh, as if to further compete with Lucan and um, and uh, Ovid, and even Virgil from Book Two of the Aeneid, where um, the great serpent uh, comes out of the water to um, to to attack uh, the the prophet um, who is uh, who is giving uh, who is trying to warn who's trying to warn the Trojans of uh, of the horse uh, that has been left by the Greeks. Um, and Lacuan, and Lacuan, and his sons are attacked by a serpent uh, from the ocean, who comes and uh, entangles all of them and, and drags them uh, into the ocean. Um, uh, this is a very famous scene, and uh, when I read it in classes, uh, uh, I, I always uh, would try to choose a very good Latin um, speaker to to uh, to read the Latin here. Uh, in this book, too, of the Aeneid, to describe uh, the way in which the serpent coiled itself around the bodies of Lacuan and, and his sons. It's a, uh, according to Latinus, it's a brilliant, uh, it's a brilliant, brilliantly written um, scene, and um, and the poetry there is 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 wonderful. The 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 poetry here too in Dante's uh, observation of this of the serpents and the attack and the transformations. And really, the lack of boundaries and identity uh, among these various thieves is also quite, um, quite as if to compete with that passage from from the Aeneid. So, um, Dante is, um, in a sense, if we can we can really push this, Dante is is a thief in his own way. Uh, he is a, he is someone who at least borrows uh, the themes of other poets, um, uh, but he he doesn't do he doesn't borrow or steal them for his own purposes only he he borrows uh, slash steals them for the purposes of a higher art uh, and to give back and to describe hell uh, and 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 to describe the the torture there therein that would help his readers to avoid um, avoid here the sin of fraud um, so uh, these uh, uh, descriptions um, of the various serpents attacking uh, the humans, and then uh, the sinner's stomach—it's—it's it's enough to make a person sick just to just to read through this. It's really if you 
you have any kind of phobia uh, with reptiles, you ought, uh, there's a trigger warning here uh, I should have given at the beginning. Um, but it's, it's, it's phenomenal the way in which uh, these, uh, these identities um, uh, are, are mixed. And we know who uh, Fuchi is, but we're really unclear on these other uh, Agnell and, and uh, what are some of the other names? See, uh, um, uh, I'm looking through the, through the passage now. Um, Buoso and um, all of all of these names uh, of, of various thieves um, uh, we're just confused as to who is who and what is what here and that's intentional on Dante's part right there's this presentation of these identities are and the way in which they fluctuate and it's difficult to know who is speaking and who isn't speaking this is all part of the artistry of, of Dante as if to say um, uh, the sin of 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 fraud, this, the the being a thief, means to be confused in your own identity. Um, so, you know, notice um, notice the ways in which the the faces and the eyes, and the different uh, parts, the body parts, are just uh, merge one uh, to to the next. And um, and uh, the, the these transformations and metamorphoses, these unnatural resurrections, as I said before are um, an inversion of, of true and honest transformation um, into, uh, into being more human and, of course, becoming closer to the divine and the beatific vision. So these thieves are uh, forever um, tormented by a loss of, a loss of identity, um, and that's the contrapasso, that that, that, uh, uh, that, that, that act that took uh, is now taking from taking from the identities and the personhood of those who are here in uh, this this circle of hell. Well, that's it for this time. Uh, two very important cantos about thievery. Next time, uh, I will be reading and discussing Canto Twenty Six, which is my favorite. Oh gosh, it's one of my favorite, but it's probably the one I have the most to say about so i look forward to to um to hearing from anyone who wants to make comments in the place to make comments and uh, please distribute uh, this lecture wildly wi widely wildly and widely uh, for others to also listen to because i appreciate uh, all the feedback that i'm receiving um but yes next time canto 26 um, very exciting ulysses and uh hope to see you take care <laughs>